This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. I can be better. You can mm-hmm. always be better. We start at different places and different dimensions, but we all can get better. We can, we can acknowledge and accept our flawedness, but we can get better. There really isn't a contradiction at all between right. that striving and the acceptance of where we begin. The difference is that it, you, if you accept it as a, a beginning, Kevin Kelly is a writer, speaker, and consultant who has made a significant impact on the world. He co-founded Wire Magazine in 1984, which quickly became one of the most influential publications in technology journalism. As an author, he has explored the intersection of technology and society in influential books such as Out of Control and The Inevitable. Kelly is also a sought-after speaker and advisor to technology companies advocating for a more equitable and sustainable world. Kelly's latest book, Excellent Advice for Living, offers practical and philosophical guidance for living a fulfilling life. Through a collection of essays, he encourages readers to embrace uncertainty, pursue their passions, cultivate meaningful relationships, and continuously seek out new knowledge and experiences. Kelly's extensive experience in the intersection of technology and society makes his advice valuable for navigating this rapidly changing world. Overall, Excellent Advice for Living is a thought-provoking and inspiring book that offers the most valuable guidance for anyone looking to fulfill a life. In part two of this episode together, we discuss all of the elements of creativity, inspiration, the power of imagination in terms of combating fear and being able to use empathy to deliver a better product or to iterate in a more effective way. We discuss love and relationships. We talk about the importance of learning and habits and all sorts of other things related to living a really fulfilled life. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hey, and one more thing. If you're feeling stuck, frustrated, or feeling a little burnt out, or like you just can't quite reach your expansive goals, I want you to check out my new book, From Burnt Out to Fired Up, Reigniting Your Passion for Teaching, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and just about anywhere you get your books. It's actionable, it's research-based, and it will transform your life and practice. Through my 5 R's framework, you'll learn to reflect, reframe, refocus your goals, reconnect with those around you, and reveal the truest expression of who you are as an educator and as an individual. Just search Morgan Michael from Burnt Out to Fired Up. That's Morgan Michael, M O R G A N E, from Burnt Out to Fired Up to reserve your very own copy today. You can do the book at your own pace or snag a bunch of copies for a staff room book club. The practices are meant to be shared. And if you're looking for inspiring lessons or daily inspirations for yourself, search Small Act Big Impact in Google for my website and for my Instagram pages. Kevin Kelly, I just want to welcome you to Kindsight 101. I am absolutely delighted and honored and humbled to have you on my show today to discuss all sorts of different topics, but especially around your new book. Thank you for your own generosity and sharing your time with me. And I really am also honored to be part of your sphere and um, talking to your 
followers and fans. Awesome. I want to jump right into a topic that has been top of mind for me when I engage with my students. I'm a kindergarten teacher by day. And when I've written books and I've done some podcasting and some of the blog posts that I've written, it really comes down to imagination. And I think that in your new book, this is a theme that comes up again and again. And I just think that it's such an incredible part of who we are as human beings and the human expression that we have. If it's okay, there's a piece in your book that I'd like to read from. Is that okay with you? Okay. So it says, anything real begins with the fiction of what could be. Imagination, therefore, is the most potent force in the universe, and you can get better at it. It's still the one skill in life that benefits from ignoring what everyone else knows. Talk to me a little bit about imagination and yeah, its connection to fear. I think that was an exciting revelation for me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so this can't—I mean, these observations have sort of come out of my own experience in um, trying to use imagination for all kinds of things from simple things like making a piece of furniture to trying to make a company to being hired uh, from Fortune 500 companies to help them think about the future. And in most of those cases, um, the best advances, the best kind of successes came from myself or other people that I observed doing this who were being imaginative, who, who were imagining things that didn't exist. And in hearing the stories about people who made fabulous breakthroughs and other kinds of stuff in their own journeys, the, the, the work of, the, of imagining was an overlooked aspect of that story besides all the hard work that they had to do, there was something about imagining, which is a kind of creativity. It's not the only kind, but it was the kind where you are, it's fiction. You, 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 you have a picture of something that does not exist and you kind of see it and you're trying to make it become real. And that act of imagining something and it could start with something you're dissatisfied as a customer. You don't like the way things are designed or whatever it is. And you're, and that's just the start. If, if that's where you stop, it doesn't get you anywhere. But if you kind of imagine the alternative that would be better, that's a huge thing. But it's actually very hard to do. It's, you know, we, we, we can easily identify problems. But it's much harder to imagine, imagine an alternative that was better than that. And so, so this practice of sort of imagining things that could be, you know, it's sort of like what story writers do who are telling a story, they're making up a world, they're making up characters, they're imagining something. It's, it's a lot of work. It takes practice to do it well. But imagining an alternative uh piece of hardware or device or to imagine a world a different political system whatever it's requires a a lot of um, effort to do the details that are needed but it turns out to be absolutely essential to make it real so 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 whatever we're seeing in the world from 
a book to some eyeglasses. Somebody, somebody imagined that in this detail so that they could make it. And so if we want a world that's better, we have to actually imagine that world in order to get there. If we want to imagine a life for ourselves that's better, we kind of have to imagine that first. And it has to be all at once, but it can be on the way in order to make it real. Yeah. I like I like the idea too. And I think what I've noticed is that people don't often identify themselves as creatives or they're reluctant to that idea, as well as the fact that someone once said that the antidote to perfectionism is not sort of self-deprecation or or pursuing greatness or striving, but in fact that it's it's about play. And I love the idea of growth being able to be connected to that sense of play and creativity and divergence in our thinking. And quite often, I think as adults, and there's research around this that says that our overall creativity declines over time if we don't practice it. You know, you mentioned the word practice a number of times right, right, when right. it came to creativity. What yeah. are what are some of the practices perhaps in your own life or maybe uh, in some of the you've you have an incredibly diverse and widespread network. Mm -hmm. What are some of the practices around creativity that you see some of the most successful inventors or thinkers? Right, right tying into their lives. So, so this goes back to the second half of it, which is that you can get better at it, that you can actually, and like anything else, you get better at it by practice, by putting in the thousands of hours necessary to do it. And I have seen that definitely there. So so one of the things we do is we have uh, workshops. Um, GBN had workshops of teaching people the scenario practice, the practice in a corporate setting of um, generating scenarios, possible possible futures to help the company or individuals plan for the future. And part of that process was imagining the future in you know say 10 years away. And the and it was really difficult for many people to do because there was a number of kind of futures that had they'd seen on TV or, or read somewhere that kind of became the default. And to imagine a different world, to imagine something that was unexpected was really hard. And the hardest part was just forgetting what was known, forgetting what you already knew, forgetting your, 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 in a certain sense, the more educated and the more expert someone was, the harder it was for mm -hmm. them to let that go and, and to imagine that they were wrong and that something completely different would happen. Um, and so that letting go, so, so part of what I'm saying is part of the practice of imagination is letting go of what is already, what you already know, that kind of, they call it, and then the beginner's mind, going back to the beginning and kind of forgetting what you know. And that's one of the beauties of kids and kids' art and stuff is that they don't know. They don't know the conventions that we have of perspective and other things. And they're just kind of liberated from that. And you sort of want a childlike stance at the, to be at that beginner's mind. And you can practice that. So you can... 
you and and there is like an exercise. It's like you say, um, you know, let me pretend that I'm a child and I don't know anything. And how would a child draw this, or how would a child see this? The uh, Brian Eno, the musician, and I, we do these things called unthinkables. And part of that little, these little exercises in the practice is to take something that seems unthinkable and to play with it, to imagine it was for some reason came true. And then what are the other things that would come out of that? Mm. Right. I mean, so you just, I don't know, you're making up something you could say, well, maybe there's, um, there's a third sex. We invent a third sex. It's not male or female. There's something else that's unthinkable. That's ridiculous. But you play with that. You, mm -hmm. you play with that idea. And that out of that ridiculous premise would be uh, an idea that you could get to forgetting the, you know, what everybody knows already. Right. And, and so um, uh, that's, so that practice of, one, forgetting what you know, the beginner's mind is one part of being imaginative in the practice. The mm -hmm. second one is this other idea of um, role-playing, pretending you, that you are somebody different. Um, um, and that's, again, like, um, we often pretend that you are like a Martian, you're, you're, you're visiting, or that you are a robot, or that you are grew up in a different you're 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 an African woman living in a farmer in a farmer's wife or something. And so, what would you think about that? And that's mm -hmm. again this practice of distancing yourself and and coming from a, a lateral point of view. Mm -hmm. And so we we would use those kind of exercises in trying to get people to think about things in a different way. Mm -hmm. That's the active imagination. Um, the what if? Yeah. What if this? What if that? And one of the things we, we, we see in that that's really is essential in this as a practice is that you in improv an mm. improv, they have this thing that when you're improving with other people, it's always yes. And not mm -hmm. no, but, yes. but no. And so um, that's an important element in this when you're doing it is, not to shoot things down, to, but to try and build on them to see how far you can go. Mm. Um, you can do that with yourself too, which is do not let the editor near this thing. Do not judgment, just kind of go as crazy as it is and to see where it goes. Cause you might get somewhere, then you can retreat from the craziness and just, you just arrive somewhere different that you started off. And that is all that you're looking for. That's great. So that idea of beginner's mind and then being able to step into the childlike mindset or or even a completely different mindset to give you the empathy to sort of think of other possibilities and then improving and and doing doing some of the practices around what could be with the yes and. I love that. I read that in your book too actually where you talked about, you know, adopt that. I wonder about that whole I, I love that you talk about this too. The editor stops the creator and we can't right. simultaneously create and right. edit. And, you know, there have been things written around just pour out 
all of the crappy work that you can. And from that, maybe there's a gem, but asking your work to provide you with, with golden nuggets every single time that you sit down to do it is not a realistic ask. What do you say to people who have never really given themselves the permission to explore creativity on that level or to play with creativity on that level? And they feel hampered by the, the need, the shackles to be perfect. What do you, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Imperfection is so essential to, 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 to this creative process. And, um, uh, maybe one of the things I would say to a person who really feels hampered by that is, um, to, to lower the bar and to say, um, um, you know, I mean, we could even say, well, if if making art is paralyzing, then let's just do some crafts. Let's just, we're just going to make something that you like every day. And it's that every, it's that constant repetitive thing about it. And then if you can get into the habit of doing it often and a lot and repeating it, then from then you can begin to say, well, um, uh, that one's a little better than this one. Why don't you do more of that one? And um, uh, and and you're not making a big deal about the ones that don't work. That just becomes something that you do, and, um, and then you can kind of build on that practice of generating a lot of the stuff. I I you know. The, the the goals of what you're trying to do don't have to be you don't have to be making world changing things you're mm-hmm. unlikely to actually <laughs> I think if you can if if someone's making something that they enjoy doing that joy is creative that is sufficient mm-hmm. and it's I mean it's a thousand times better than watching a TV program because you're making something it's coming out of you and so I, I I think I think we if we can lower the the bar of what we expect this to be, mm-hmm. and to say that just the act of creating something or making something mm-hmm. that is a creative act that is a work of an imagination. You're kind of seeing something and you're, you're mm-hmm. making it, and so um, doing that is is enough for many people. And if you want to kind of push yourself, well, then we can start to do that. But don't give up that you know, doing it every day kind of a thing or doing it for yourself. Right. I love that. I want to talk about habits, but before we do, I, I, I want to talk about this idea of the paradox between self-acceptance and striving when we're creating. I think that it is kind of a dance. We straddle that fence. I think sometimes it's more one than the other. What, what's your thought on that? Yeah. Um, so, so I had this little piece, bit of advice that, um, you know, superheroes and saints don't make art because, yeah. because they're perfect. Right. That the stuff that we make actually originates in the fact that we are not perfect, that we're broken in some ways, that we're working on something, that we're, that we're imperfect, flawed beings. That is actually the source mm. of our creativity and our striving and all this kind of stuff. So, so um so there is a certain amount where you have to, you're accepting of the fact that you're flawed. Um, but at the same time, you are trying to get better. 
And so, you know, talent is on, um, we, we, we all have a, a different mix. It's just like our faces are different. We have different mixes of, of, of talent and ability, but wherever, so I'm never going to be a, an athletic star in any remote <laughs> way, but I can be better. You can mm -hmm. always be better. And the, the star will be, it can be better too. So we start at different places and different um, dimensions, but we all can get better. And that's, so, so we can accept our, we can, we can acknowledge and accept our flawedness, but we can get better. Mm -hmm. And that's, so, so to me, there really isn't a contradiction at all between right. that striving to be improved and the acceptance of where we begin. So, so if, the difference is that it, you, if you accept it as a, a beginning, right, that you're on, that you are moving somewhere. So, and, and, and I say elsewhere in the book that it doesn't really matter where you start, right? Because it's not going to be where you end. And, and, and that is a hundred percent true of every accomplished, remarkable person I've ever met is they did not start there. They started somewhere weird and different and common and, you know, um, but don't worry too much about where you're starting because mm -hmm. it's not, as long as you're moving and going in a direction, you'll end up somewhere better. And so, so start, mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. and my advice to young people is master something just give it your all it doesn't matter what it is almost because it's not going to be where you end up to start there and give it your 100% and then you'll you'll use that to find your passion yeah and your curiosity too i think there's there's different spin-offs and opportunities i've found just in my own very humble life that I couldn't even have imagined for myself as doors that would open. And there's something really exciting and thrilling about looking at a future like that when you, you don't even know what's coming. That's really exciting. Right, 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 I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I do want to ask you about habits because I think I'm really fascinated with habits. I think you talk about the fact that success is in that persistence mm -hmm. and that it supersedes habits, supersede the power of inspiration or, or maybe the fact that inspiration isn't something that's very dependable always. Can you speak to that? The idea of habit versus inspiration and maybe specifically, I mean, really anybody can be creative, but it really doesn't matter whether it's someone writing report cards or if it's someone writing a book or whatever creative endeavor we're doing, you know, there's, it, there's applications. Yeah. So, so, um, um, yeah, the, the, What's the word I want? Um, to kind of get better re requires um, practicing or re doing things until until the point of failure. So 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 they call it deliberate practice. That's a term, and that's what musicians and athletes and other world class performers do. Is it's not just that they're doing the same thing over and over again. They're doing the same thing until. They're, they're, they're trying to get it better to the point where it breaks, where they fail, where it doesn't work. It's like you're mm -hmm. a skateboarder. You're going to keep, keep doing it and you're always going to be failing because you're trying something new. Sure. And so you're, you're just going to do it and, 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 it, and it 
you're doing it when it when you when it doesn't work for you. It's not like you're playing the same thing perfectly over and over again. That's not deliberate practice. That's not really practice. So so there is a sense of of um, of um, needing to keep doing it uh, again and again to get you to that place where you are out of your comfort zone, where you're pra- where you're failing, where you are learning something, where you where it doesn't work. And so you can't get there unless you kind of keep doing it. And that's where the, that's where the habit comes in. And um, so to make really good work, you have to make a lot of really bad and mediocre work. There's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, even when you're proficient, there is the same amount of, making not very good stuff so we're mesmerized by something like a hollywood movie in the movie dune say which is almost perfect in cinematic way well (laughs) there were so many things that they made along that way that didn't work yeah it wasn't like it wasn't like they sort of all of them were professionals they were just going to make this thing and it's perfect Every single one of these is a miracle that it gets even done on time. Yeah. And they're, they're just battling up to the last minute and they're trying things and they're throwing away everything that they've made before that. They're just, it's just hugely inefficient <laughs> because the only way they got there was making five or 10 mediocre movies in between to get right. to that really good one. And so this idea that you you have to generate a whole bunch of intermediate work or prototypes, stuff that didn't work, and that you're 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 actually it's so um, uh, it's so full of stuff that didn't work that it's almost a miracle that it does work. So mm-hmm. I worked on a magazine that I co-founded Wired magazine, mm-hmm. and after seven years, the thing that has astounded me was that you think after seven years, like you know, we would know how to do the issue. We would have it done on the Friday night and ship it off to the thing and we go. But no, it was like every single monthly issue was a total miracle that <laughs> never came out because we were right up to the deadline. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. It's like, and then we have to do it another month, you know, to do it again. <laughs> and it was because we were trying to make it better every time. And yeah. so we were sort of like pushing. And so this idea of, it was a habit. We're just yeah. going to do it. And then, okay, that maybe we tried really hard. It wasn't as good as we wanted, but we're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. So our habit is, you know, we're going to do it every month or somebody having it every day or it's every week, whatever it is. It's this idea that you're going to go back and back and that you can only really get there by making it something that we would call a habit, which is defined as something that you try to make it easy to do <laughs> and yeah. consequential. So anything we do, whether it's, getting better at writing or, you know, the kind of um, improving our diet or whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. going to come down to that. We're not going to be able to accomplish this in one go. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. doesn't matter. It's iterative. I think that's, right. that's a big part of it. You had a project with Jeff Bezos where you worked on a clock. Can you talk about that within the context of that iterative process that, uh, the knowing that things don't work right away off the yeah, bat. Yeah. yeah. So um, 
I'm the co-chair of the Long Now Foundation, which is um, a nonprofit foundation that's trying to encourage us and people to think long-term, to think in terms of generations, to, to be a good ancestor. Mm-hmm. We want to do things now that our descendants collectively in the future would thank us for. Mm-hmm. In the way that we should be thankful for the people who built the streets and the sewage systems and everything that we have enjoyed today were, were made by previous generations. Um, and so um, as part of that perspective of trying to encourage people to long-term, to think long-term, to maybe start projects that might take more than their lifetime to finish, to be a good ancestor. Um, uh, Danny Hill is one of the co-founders with us, um, wanted to build a clock, a monumental clock that would tick once a year and talk once a hundred mm-hmm. years and every thousand years, a little cuckoo clock would come out. And the idea mm-hmm. would be that this ticking clock for 10,000 years would remind us to think about long-term things, to think about what we could do over the long-term. It'd be kind of an emblem or a symbol mm-hmm. of long range things. Mm-hmm. So um, we have several different versions of the clock. We built one as a prototype, which is in the London Science Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a piece of property in Nevada that's surrounded by a national park that we want to build a clock at the top of the mountain. But in the meantime, um, Jeff Bezos funded uh, a version of the clock on his property, his ranch in Texas, mm-hmm. where he has a spaceport for um, Blue Origin. Mm-hmm. And so um, so we, over the past 20 years, have been building this clock, which is a monumental 500-foot clock inside mm-hmm. a mountain that will tick by itself wow. for 10,000 years. And every day it rings a different chime, a different melody, some chimes that ring a different melody for, for 10,000 years every day. Every day? So the every- permutations on that, that's yeah, exactly. wild. That wow. By okay. Brian Eno, the musician, um, who is part of our crew and who gave the name Long Now. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the point of this, uh, extravagant piece of art Hmm. is um, a reminder, a nudge, a provocation to um, be a good ancestor, to to think about um, what we might accomplish as a society if we raised the horizon and said, um, this is for three generations hence we're going to do something that will benefit primarily the future right right you talk a lot about the importance of holding space for people i think that legacy the trail you leave behind as seth godin would say you know that that idea of of taking care of each other is a really important part of especially this new book excellent advice and for living and i i want to ask you what what brought you like have you always prioritized the social or or the people element has that always been a priority to you or is this something that over time you've recognized as an important piece of the puzzle or of what's important in life yeah, I, 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 I think it is something I've 
more in the learning side, that aspect of myself. Right. Something where I've learned rather than um, something that was native. Um, and I think in, in the same way that I, I think I'm generally optimistic as, in, in a sunny temperament, but I have actually deliberately aimed to become even more optimistic than I am naturally. So I think, yes, I think this is a growth area where I have become much more conscious, aware, sensitive, enthusiastic about the social dimensions mm. of of my life and thinking in terms of, and that's expanded to the kind of generational view as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that was a natural, I don't think I was naturally thinking about that when I was a teenager. Um, and uh, I, 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 I was a huge fan of science fiction as a teenager when I had that kind of views of the future and I saw it also as useful in terms of imagining what could be that mm -hmm. goes back to the imagination of well there's things that we could imagine and then we could aim for that we could uh, we, uh, let's make that world um, but I, I didn't I didn't think I appreciated the the necessity or the value or the power of mm -hmm. the collective cooperation and collaboration. I think that came much later as I studied systems that work that way, that are that are much more um, collaborative. And in that, and just in my own experience of having to work with people and seeing, um, you know, what could happen. There, the, there was a piece of advice, which is kind of almost like a African proverb, which is that if you want to go far, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far go together and so this is the idea of of um and, and i saw that just in my own experience of like trying to do things either as an as a solo person or with a group mm. there's huge disadvantages to doing things as a group because yes. it's slow yes but you go further mm. and so there is that trade-off of sometimes you want to go really fast and agile and so a small group, an individual is the way to go. Other times you want to accomplish something big and vast and far reaching and deep. And then you want to do it with a bunch of people. So it's wonderful that we have those options. Yes. And we have technologies and tools that will help either one. You know, right. the my piece on the thousand true fans yes. is much more aimed at kind of an individual who wants to go fast and um it's 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 you know it's an individual. How far can an individual go, using this you know the collaboration tools to have a thousand fans? You can mm -hmm. go further than we thought. Yes. Um, but if you want to build if you want to build a rocket to Mars, mm, you're going to need a bigger group. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need to outsource some things and let go of that control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first time I heard about the thousand two true fans, I was listening to the Tim Pot or Ferris podcast, yep. and he he often references you and he speaks highly yep. of you. And I think it was 2017 or something when I heard it for the first time, and I thought, wow. And that was right when I was just beginning my journey. And mm -hmm. uh, just to touch on that briefly, what would you say to an entrepreneur who's feeling? feeling like they need to to aim for a million followers on Instagram or on Twitter yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and have this weird sense of what success means. Yeah. One of my bits of advice is that, you know, having 12 people love you is much better than having 12 million people like you. Mm. Um, 
so that likeness, uh, we, we just have to be, you have to be really kind of careful and think about what you want to do. I have a friend who has a million followers on Twitter and I was like, you know, what does that get you? He says nothing. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, right. Like it's not really that valuable. There are ways you know, that people who monetize things, I understand that completely. You have to think very closely about what it is you're trying to optimize in your life. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, success, <laughs> what's success for you? And there's lots of different answers to, to that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I hang out with the Amish and their idea of success is a very different thing than most people's their success is to have a f- strong family where they have meals, three meals a day together. You know, it's like, well, I mean, it's a very different idea of success. Yeah. But um, um, what is it to you? Do you mind me asking? What is success to you? Success for me is I'm on a journey to try and optimize my own learning Mm. and in service of trying to increase the options and possibilities for everyone. Mm. So so, so that's what I see technology bringing. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what it's doing is it's... um, increasing the choices and possibilities we have, which means that it wants to get new ones without limiting too many of the old ones. Mm. We can only figure out what they're really kind of good for in the particulars is by using them every day. And that's by using them, we can say, oh, I can see that this is good for this and it's not, it's causing harm here. I'm going to steer away from that by use. Uh, Is there anything else? I mean, you have, you're an absolute, I don't, it's been a delight talking to you. So fun and really deep. And I love it. Is there anything you want to add, maybe specifically within the realm of education, any messages you have to sort of leave people with before we sign off? Yeah, I always tell people, if you want to be a hero, thank your kindergarten teacher. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, um, Education. Well, yeah, a couple of things I would say about this. One of them is sort of pretty broad and high level than maybe not what you're looking for. But but here, here's what I would say is I think there's really only one meta skill that when you graduate from high school that you should have mm. that we should focus on. And that is um, the ability to learn how to learn. Okay, so what I think every graduate from the school system should be graduating with is knowing very explicitly in details the best ways that they learn different kinds of things. Mm. I, even though I'm 71 and a half, don't even know that about myself. I still Mm. don't know exactly the best way for me to learn a language, the best way for me to learn math. Mm. How often do I have to have things repeated? How often do I have to have rest between the repetitions? How much does it have to be audible versus written down? I I don't know those things, but Mm -hmm. that's what we should be graduating with is the knowledge of how we can optimize our own learning. What, what, what the practices are, what the, what the skills are, what we, how we need, because that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives is learning new things. A mm-hmm. lot of the digital natives, 
young people, they kind of rub their hands and say, oh, I'm a digital native. I don't have to learn this. No, no, <laughs> you're going to be a digital native for five years. Mm -hmm. And then all this AI stuff is coming on and you're going to have to learn everything just like we have to learn it. You're going to be in the same newbie boat that we're in. <laughs> don't get so smug. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. You know, it's like, so um, yeah, we're going to be newbies for the rest of our life, perpetual newbies and having to learn things. And so that ability to know how you yourself learn best, what kinds of things, what, what practices do you have to do to keep learning the rest of your life? And that's, it's not learning the knowledge because you can look it up or ask the chat about it. But that learning thing is the skill that we want to be teaching. And um, I looked around to find a curriculum on how to learn about learning and there's zero mm. anywhere in the mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. and so i think the more and i think you can't learn that by yourself i have to have you have to have teachers and a system and others to help you see who you are and how you learn and to test you and to practice and so that's what i would like to see happen mm -hmm. yeah kevin kelly i just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and honestly it's been inspiring and i think i'm going to be buzzing for the next month just thinking about everything so thank you thank you for your beautiful new book excellent advice for living wisdom i wish i'd known earlier there it is and it's a beautiful book and and easily digestible but deep so i i just see, i see this for for educators putting a quote up every day to sort of reflect and prompt discussion yeah. i think at staff meetings i think in your family at dinner tables i just think it's a beautiful beautiful book and i appreciate it so much so thank you you're very welcome thank you for your interest and great questions thank you thank so you i want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on itunes your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show if you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.